our lives are like a candle. Sometimes they have no light on them. And a candle without a light may be pretty. <laughs> it may even have holly and tinsel around it, look like Christmas, all dressed up. But it doesn't, it isn't fulfilling its purpose until a fire is ignited to it. And then when that fire is ignited to the candle, it, it will accomplish that for which it was made. And then it shines. But you know, some of our lives, ignited by the fire of God, allowing the Lord Jesus Christ to come upon us and to fire our hearts, so to speak, serve for a while, and we do God's bidding, and then something happens to us. And we just don't do what God told us to do. Briefly as possible, I want to tell you the story of a king who had this experience. If you turn your Bible to Daniel 5, Daniel chapter 5. I'll not read all of the chapter, but just some of it. And as I tell you the verse, you can skip to that verse. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, we thank you for the joy and honor of being in this service. Thank you for everyone who has had part, those testimonies and the solos and the sermons and song and all that has blessed our heart tonight. And now may the word of God, quicker than a sharper than a two-edged sword, may it pierce our hearts and cause us to sit together in heavenly places. May thy spirit touch those who are without Jesus and draw them to Christ and those who are saved. Lord, help us to be ablaze in a flame and put aside little things and the foolish things and the toys. And may we go on for God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Daniel chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes and wives and concubines might drink from them. Now, it's interesting to remember that usually when the king in those days had a feast, he just invited the men. The queen would have a feast for the women. And when a king had the men and women together, you could just note that he was up to no good. It was a big debauchery and a revelry, and it was a type of orgy that was in the offing. It was entirely against custom for a king to have all the women there. And you'll notice that the queen mother was not at this feast. Any woman that respected herself was not in an orgy like this. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver and bronze, of iron, of wood and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man 
and wrote over against the lampstand upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. The king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the, point, the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. And the king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read the writing and show me its interpretation shall be clothed with scarlet, and have a chain of gold about his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing, nor make known to the king the interpretation of it. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled. His countenance was changed in him, and his lords were perplexed. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the, of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. Notice she had not been there. And the queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. Whom the king Nebuchadnezzar thy father, the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpretation of dreams and revelries of hard, revealing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then was Daniel brought in before the king. And the king spoke and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel who art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king of my father brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation of it. But they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation of it, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said unto the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the, unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would he slew, whom he would he kept alive, whom he would he set up, and whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointed over it whomsoever he will. And thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. Notice carefully. Thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, thy concubines have drunk wine from them, and thou hast promised and praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, 
and whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written, Meni, Meni, Tekel, Eupharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Meni, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balance and art found wanting. Peris, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And in that night was Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius, the Mede, took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. The liberals had tried every way in the world to destroy the book of Daniel. They said there's no such thing, nor was there was no such king as Darius. And it's interesting to note that Darius was the title, not the name of the king, just like Caesar or Tsar, just like Fuhrer, just like king, just like president, just like Pharaoh. Darius was the name of the king of the office of Persia and the Medians, Medianites, and uh, the Medes rather. And was not, he was not, that was not his proper name, Belshazzar. His father, they say, was not Nebuchadnezzar. But they forget that in Hebrew there is no word for grandfather. The word father is used for any ancestor, going back to great, 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 great grandfather. And so Nebuchadnezzar was in the line of succession. Belshazzar was in the line of succession of Nebuchadnezzar. And as this chapter opens, 20 or 30 years have elapsed between chapters 4 and 5. And Nebuchadnezzar has been succeeded by other kings. And finally, Belshazzar is on the throne. Belshazzar has not heeded the word of Daniel to his father or his forefather. He has not paid any attention to the fact that Nebuchadnezzar was converted, so to speak. As to whether he was really saved, we don't know, but his mind was changed. And in chapter 4, we read about Nebuchadnezzar going out as a wild animal. And after a time when he realized that God was on the throne, he yielded himself to God, to the control of God. And some believe that Nebuchadnezzar was actually a saved man, a converted man. At any rate, his mind was changed. But it did not affect the way of Babylon. It did not affect those who followed in his train. And all too often, the sons of men of God have not served the Lord God. For some reason or another, they have not followed in the train of their own father. We think of Joshua and Moses. Moses had some sons who would not listen to him, who would not follow in his train. Doubtless they could have stood in the place of Moses when Moses was taken off the scene. But Moses' sons did not follow in his way. And Joshua, a man scarcely known, came and stood by Moses and was with Moses through thick and thin. And when Moses passed from the scene, the torch of leadership was passed not to the sons of Moses, but to Joshua who had gotten as close to the man of God as possible. And I would say to you tonight, get as close to God's man as you can. Get as close to somebody who is living for the Lord and out and out life and emulate not the weaknesses of their lives, but the strengths of their lives. Emulate their love for Christ, their love for God, their loyalty to the word of God. Belshazzar, Belshazzar did not do this. And on a night, when Babylon was in serious trouble, 
and the Medes and the Persians had been crowding in on the city of Babylon, Belshazzar decided that his kingdom was impregnable. Regardless of what Nebuchadnezzar had thought about God, Belshazzar didn't believe in God. And in his drunken stupor, he called for all the women to come in. And he was going to have a big orgy, a big feast. So drunk was he that he remembered that they had taken the golden vessels from the temple in Jerusalem, which were committed and dedicated to Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord God. And without thinking, or perhaps thinking with no concern, Belshazzar sent for all of these golden vessels and the goblets and so on. And they brought them and defiled them by drinking wine and having them in that big party. And right in the middle of it, there was handwriting on the wall. And Belshazzar didn't understand it. Now, Belshazzar was usually a pretty calm, collected cookie. He didn't get all upset about a lot of things, but when he saw that armless hand writing those words, he knew something was wrong. And so he sent for all the wise men of Babylon to come and interpret, but they couldn't do it. They didn't know what to make of it. I'm sure they could read what those words said because they were words that represented measures. They were words that represented a measurement like gallons and so on. But they didn't understand what it meant. They couldn't comprehend why in the middle of this feast all of those measure words were put on the wall. And finally the queen mother who had known Nebuchadnezzar and who had experience with Daniel before the queen mother said, Belshazzar, there is a man in the kingdom who can help us. In him is the spirit of the gods, and he will read the interpretation. And so Daniel was sent for. And when Daniel came, he said, save your gifts for another. Give them to somebody else. I'll tell you what that means. Now I want you to notice for a moment or two something about Babylon. Babylon was that city founded by Nimrod, the great-grandson of Noah. It was the most magnificent and luxurious city in the world, the center of idolatry, the headquarters of the heathen mystery religions, and it was devoted to every immorality under the sun. Now, it was an impregnable fortress. It was the exact shape of a square, 15 miles each way, and surrounded by a wall, and listen to this, the wall was 87 feet thick and 350 feet high. That was Babylon. No wonder Belshazzar sat in his fortress and said, let the Medes be out there, let the Persians be out there. They can't bother me. We've got an 87-foot wall and 350 feet high. Why, we can ride chariots three abreast around the city of Babylon, and nobody can bother us. And while they were having their merry good time, Cyrus and the Medes were engineering a feat 
that had never happened before and has been copied by some military generals and reminds us of something that is going to happen in the future. You see, through the city of Babylon ran the great Euphrates River, right through the city, under the walls. And that city was so beautiful, the trees would be reflected in the beautiful Euphrates. And people would sit under those trees and think how safe they were within the thick walls of Babylon, the greatest city on earth. But Cyrus had engineered something that nobody had heard of until then. He proposed a Swiss gate. And he dug a canal all the way around Babylon. And he put a gate and he connected that canal from one point outside the wall of Euphrates, outside the wall of Babylon, clear around the city, and he connected it to the other wall, to the other part of Euphrates on the other side of the wall, and then he arranged, you might call floodgates, we'd call them that. And on a given night, everything was in readiness. He was ready to open those gates. And then he put a, a dam on the side where the Euphrates would flow under the wall into Babylon. And he stopped the flow of the water. And the Euphrates River flowing down came to that dam and flowed through the canal and he rerouted the water. And inside Belshazzar was having his feast. And right in the middle of it, on the wall, meanie, meanie, take all you farson. And he said, I don't know what that means, but it sure makes me nervous. And Daniel came. And Daniel said, here's what it means. This is the interpretation. God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Take them. Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Paris. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And just as all this was happening, the Persians were out there rerouting the river. And when they got the water all drained from the Euphrates, and it didn't take long, the armies of the Persians went down through the dry riverbed under the walls of that impregnable city and took Babylon. It reminds us of what is going to happen one day. The scripture tells us in Revelation when the riverbed of Euphrates will dry up and the 200 million men from the east will march across a dry Euphrates down toward Israel just at Armageddon time well what does this have to say to us tonight and because of time I must needs cut this message very very short I want to lay on our hearts some meanings that God has spoken to my heart about concerning weighed in the balance and found wanting
Why was Belshazzar weighed in the balance and found wanting? And why today could we be weighed in the balance and found wanting? We who burn, sometimes we don't burn at all. Sometimes our lives flicker out. Sometimes we're just fakey. I want to suggest several areas where believers in the Lord Jesus Christ or those who at least profess faith in Christ and are part of the church, at least the visible church, whether they're part of Christ's church, whether they're part of the body of Christ, the real body of Christ, they profess to be. Weighed in the balance and found wanting. Well, Belshazzar had forgotten. He had forgotten the lessons he could have learned from Nebuchadnezzar and from the others, and sometimes we forget. This is point number one. We forget to learn the lessons from the Word. We forget what God wants to teach us from His Word about the wages of sin. Now, the wages of sin have never been altered. They never will be altered. They're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just like the scripture says in Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, so is sin. Sin and its wages are just the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we forget that, when we fail to remember that sin, the price of low living is very, very high, that the wages of sin always is death. Now, if a man is not saved, if his sins are carried in his own life, those sins will weigh him down, down, down. Suppose this is my sin burden. Those sins will weigh me down, 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 down to destruction. But if I take my sins and place them on Christ, then I don't have them any longer. He cleanses me. He takes them. He forgives me. And he carries them far away. And I am free from the bondage of sin. But in the life of a believer, sometimes we can get hooked on little sins, little petty sins. And they come into our lives and they try to put their old tentacles around us and drag us down, down, down and lay our honor in the dust. Because we forget. Because we forget. We forget we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. We forget that we are to live as Christ would have us live. And so, as the film we saw earlier tonight reminded us, we fall to the lure of Vanity Fair. We're in the world, and we see the world with all of its folly and all of its glitter and all of its good times and all of its fun, and we say, well, I want a little bit of that fun. And so we go over and dabble in the fun here and dabble in the fun here and dabble in the fun here. And after a while, all that fun time gets in us. Do you notice in that film, if you were there tonight, that the prince of the power of the air is the one that came out there? And he was shocked that there were two Christians there who would not bow before the prince. 
Because Vanity Fair, everybody bows before the prince. And if you're going to be part of Vanity Fair, if you're going to be part of the fairs of life, if all you have to do with your time is to go fiddle it away and piddle it away in some little play toy, then the prince of the power of the air is going to expect you to bow before him. And if you don't, you can be dead level sure that you'll be made fun of. Because they expect that. In August, there will be a fair here in Kentucky, here at Bowling Green. I've been interested in that fair for years. We've had a teen time pavilion out there. And I don't know how many people have found Jesus Christ as their Savior. Every year, year after year after year after year after year, 80 to 100 people. I wish it could be 1,000. But I'm always interested in people having nothing more to do with their time than just go out and look around and look around and be with all of the stuff that goes on. And I, you know, don't tell me what you do and don't come to me after the service. If you're going to go to the fair, will you just go on? But remember that those who participate in Vanity Fair, after a while, Satan will expect you to bow before him. Not just the fair, the Southern Kentucky Fair. I'm not speaking just of that. I'm talking about that as a, as a parable concerning all the fairs of life, the playthings, the play toys, all of the trash things you read and see in the television and see in the movies and the, the trashy literature, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Brother Gordon preached a tremendous message the other night. I wish everybody could have heard it. Somebody said, what did he preach on? He preached against sin. I guess that's the best way to describe it. Just, he just made a catalog of sins and went straight down the line. And... Uh, I guess there were some people who said, I don't like that. Reminds me of what somebody said to Dr. Lee when they went out the door one day. Dr. Lee, I didn't like your sermon. He said, the devil didn't either. Classify yourself and come back next Sunday. <laughs> Sin is a reproach to any people. And God's people, called by his name, need to humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways and see how close to heaven we can live instead of see how close to hell we can live. You know, I'm convinced more and more that one of the reasons that people like all the dazzling, bright things, like all these things, I like, I like beautiful things. I love beautiful things. I like those chandeliers up there. I like those windows over there. I like beautiful things. I'm glad we have carpet on the floor instead of concrete. It's hiding that concrete that's under it. I like beautiful things. But you know, I believe one reason that people give themselves just pretty reflections is because that's all they are. 
they don't have anything else. There's nothing else to them. And they just make a big splash. Sort of like this. You see this thing? Watch it. It's going to make a big splash. I think it is. Yeah, there it goes. Now watch. You see, a lot of people are like that. Boy, that pretty? Isn't that beautiful? Make a big, big splash and sparks go off everywhere and people looking at them, oh, that's really something. That's really, really something. Look at that. Isn't that something? I like that. But I want you to notice something. What is it now? Nothing. Not a thing. It had its little day. And it's nothing. That's the way with a lot of lives. Here tonight, your life, if all it is is just a big splash, and you're a big sparkle, and you draw a lot of attention to yourself, but you don't have anything inside that gives you a holy reverence to God. And when you're tempted to sin, there's nothing inside of you that says, I cannot do this. It would offend God. I don't care what the people say, it would offend God. If there's not that thing inside of you that says that, then you're in dangerous condition. And this is one reason many, many take you farsen. The handwriting on the wall needs to concern you. For one day, one day, it will be on the wall of your life and on the wall of your heart. You are weighed in the balance and found wanting because there's nothing to you but an outward shell. And I want to appeal to you tonight, and don't hide behind a song. Don't hide behind a church membership. Don't hide behind some polished life. Don't hide behind some beautiful, beautiful face or some handsome, strong strength. Look inside of your heart. What's there? What's there? Belshazzar had everything. He had a rich inheritance. He had a rich heritage. He had the greatest kingdom on earth. And he had an impregnable city, the greatest city in the world, and all of its beauty. Until that handwriting came out on the wall and reminded him that he had nothing at all because there was nothing inside. How about you tonight? If you can sin, and then you cover up your sin with a lie, and then you cover up your lie with another lie, and you keep on straight down the line living a fakey life, you better look inside to find out if there's anything really there. A born-again Christian can't do that. A born-again believer will have to come to God and say, God, I've really messed up. I've really fumbled the ball, Lord. I'm a sinner. I'm sorry, oh I'm sorry, this grieves me, not because I got caught, not because somebody saw me, but because the Spirit of God inside my heart grieved my heart about it. Now Darius, I mean 
Belshazzar never had anything like that because he didn't have anything inside. And when the handwriting on the wall came, he didn't know what it meant. He, and the astrologers didn't know what it meant. All of his cronies didn't know what it meant. And all of his buddies and all of his friends, they had no idea. And all of those people with whom he sinned, they had no idea. And then he called a man who didn't fear anybody but God. And he came and said, well, I know what it means. Many, many, take all you farson. Why, O oh, king, that means that your kingdom is divided. Your days are numbered. And your kingdom is given to the Medes. Suppose the handwriting on the wall came out tonight on your heart. What would it say? Failure to go when God says go. I thank the Lord for this dear man, missionary, who heard God's voice, a mechanic, who heard God's voice. God said, I want you to get up and go. He said, all right, Lord, here I am. I'll go. I'll go. And the light of his life will flicker and burn and glow for God. Thank the Lord for Bill Ricketts, who years ago heard God's voice. And he was willing to come forward and say, Here am I, Lord. Take me and break me and make me, mold me, use me. I thank the Lord for Darla. The first eight years we had teen time. Eight teen time is now, and it's about its 17th year, I think. The first eight years we had, Darla didn't miss one service. I don't think. Maybe it was eight, seven years. Maybe it was ten. I don't know how long it was. Not one service. And she sang almost every Sunday night. She didn't belong to that crew who said, well, get somebody else to do it. They hear me all the time. Get somebody else. Foolishness. Foolishness. If God has given you something to do and something to go, and you've got a gift and a talent, use it for his glory or you'll take it away. And when she used it, God used it in small places. God began to give her larger places to use it. When Bill was faithful to God in small places, God gave him larger places to serve. So it will be. But sometimes Christians say, I'm, just no, I'm not going to serve. I don't want, it doesn't suit me to do that. I don't want to sing a solo. I don't want to preach. I don't want to work. I don't want to serve. I don't want to go visiting. I don't have time for all that. Meany. Many take all you farson. Thy gift, thy talent, thy work has been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Sometimes we become faithless in utter despair and discouragement. Now I would suppose tonight that I'm speaking to some Christians who know what I'm talking about when I say that Satan pounces on believers with discouragement perhaps more than any other one tool. How many of you have experienced that? You have. You have. And he tries to make you feel like you can't do anything. And he tries to make you feel like that you're not worthy to do anything. Of course you're not. I'm not. Who is? That's not the question. And he tries to say, now look, you've made, made a mess of things and you've done something wrong and so therefore just curl up in a knot and die and quit. That's exactly what the devil wants. But God says, come on, get off that bench. Get back in the game of life. Get back at it. 
You know there are some old smug, self-righteous Christians that sit around and say, Yeah, well, this old guy, this guy, this girl, look what they did. And they got nose trouble and nose leaks down in other people's faces and eyes and they find out everything. They know all the scuttlebutt of everybody. And they say, uh, well, you just, you know, you, you shouldn't do, you know, that kind of life you shouldn't do. You know what? When a person who plays football or basketball and he gets out there and he messes up on the floor and the coach has to put him out and put him on the bench. The real test of that guy is whether he curls up in a knot and dies and sits there on the bench or whether he's got the guts and the courage and the fortitude to come to the coach and say, Coach, I really messed up, but would you give me another chance? I want to get back in the game. And when he's willing to get back in the game, he'll get going again. Some of you have had automobile wrecks. The worst thing in the world you could do is get scared off from an automobile wreck and say, I'm never going to drive again. How many of you have ever been in an automobile wreck? Lift your hand. Driving when you had a wreck. How many of you have felt like, boy, I'm not going to drive anymore? <laughs> yeah, well, the worst thing you can do is to do that. The thing God wants you to do and the thing you need to do to get going again is just the next, very next chance you can get back in that car and get going again. Get at it. God doesn't want us to quit. Meany, meany, tackle you farson. You have been weighed in the balance and you found discouraged and defeated and you've allowed Satan to discourage you and, and to lay your honor in the dust. And so you're down. You're just going to sit there. It's like the, in the prize fight. How many counts is it before he's out? Is it 10? And the ref goes, one, two. And he's down. Three, down. Four, down. But the guy that's got it is going to get up before he counts 10 if he's conscious. Now, you know, that's the way with Christians. And God's people need to hear the voice inside his heart, inside the heart of the heart, the Holy Spirit speaking to that heart, go on for me, go on for me, serve, go. And if we'll go for God, we'll, be dis we'll just put discouragement and defeat behind us and we'll look to the cross and we'll go on not for people although there's nothing wrong with serving people we ought to, we, what we do for God has to be done for the people but we'll go on and on and on because we've had a glimpse of Jesus dear singer used to say used to sing he's in heaven now he died of lung cancer throat cancer rather Jack Holcomb used to sing, back to the cold world, I will not go. Back to the old world of sin and woe. Back to the old world, oh no, for I've had a glimpse of Jesus. And beloved friend, if you've had a glimpse of Jesus, you can't go back. Where would you go? To whom would you turn? Sit down and curl up in a knot and die? Oh no. Let's go on glowing. For one day, there will be handwriting on the wall. Meany, meany, take all you farson. And whether that handwriting on the wall says to us, you have really flubbed the dub, you've messed up, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians, or whether it says, your time is up. That's all the time you've got. You don't have any longer. 
and the cold arm of death begins to go down on us. And it begins to smother out the life of our light. And little by little, we're there. Then God says, give an account of your stewardship. Come on and tell us what you did with the sticks of your life. What did you do with it? What were we telling? The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth from all sin. Are you saved? Are you really saved? Are you positive that behind that front you put on, that deep inside the heart of your hearts, Jesus is Lord, He is Savior? You've been to Jesus for the cleansing power and been washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's the question when the life goes out and you stand there. Are you sure that you're saved? If you're saved, are you serving? Are you serving? Are you serving? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for the privilege of prayer. We pray tonight that the Holy Spirit of God would take this message and drive it home to every heart. And oh God, I, there's a burden You've placed on our heart tonight. Please, Lord, what a tragedy it would be to have folks come and sit in these services and hear the word and not understand what it means to really be saved, to be genuinely born of the Spirit of God, to be redeemed by the blood. Lord, if there's one person here tonight that has confusion about that, may the Spirit of God make it clear beyond the words of the preacher. May the Holy Spirit just whisper, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And then, Lord, help every believer to enroll for service, to say, Lord, use me. Use me. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. May we stand, please. We're going to sing God's invitation. I want us to sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. As we sing that, if you're here tonight and you're not sure that Jesus has washed you white as snow, you're not certain you're cleansed by the blood, would you come and say, I want to make sure of that. I don't want there to be any mix-up. I don't want the light of my life to flicker out and I stand before God uncertain. Now let me assure you that we're not saved by, by, by joining a church. You're not saved by walking down an aisle. You're saved by putting your trust and faith in Jesus. Only Jesus. And He can cleanse you and save you. Now if you're saved, are you serving Him? Is there anything between you and Jesus? It would make for separation so that you couldn't really have power in your life 
You couldn't be what God wants you to be. Confess that thing. Get rid of it. And just walk the Calvary road. Say, Lord, I want to be used by God. There may be somebody here that God's calling to preach or calling to Christian service or calling to be a Sunday school teacher or a bus pastor or a mission worker. Do what God tells you. He's calling all of us into a walk of holiness to put aside the, the, the slough, the gutter, the trash heaps, all of the little old petty things that would distract us and turn our honor into dust. Put them aside. Here's a, here's a way to check up. If you really want to know the cancer in your heart, Close your eyes a minute. Just close them. Now, if you were in a place tonight where nobody knew you, nobody would ever find out, what are the temptations that would come to your heart that you'd go through and you'd do and you'd really want to do if you thought nobody would ever know, nobody would ever find out? Let those things flash before you a moment. This will tell you the story of the malignancy in every heart. Why don't you take that thing, that thing that would be a strong temptation to you, take it to Jesus and ask him to cleanse you from it. Ask him to take it away from you. The illicitness of it. The wrong of it. And ask him in its place to give you a new reverence and respect and love for the holiness of Christ inviting him to be Lord of your life and remember that Jesus blood can cleanse you from every sin even that sin that came to your mind just now father help us to do that tonight in Jesus name amen let's sing as we sing who will be first to come saying here's my life Lord I want to give it to you Maybe God is leading you to move your membership to this church. Maybe you need to come take a new stand for God. Whatever the Holy Spirit has said to you, do it tonight while we sing.